We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, after which our children will be dismissed to their service. Mark's gospel, the first chapter, beginning at verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, thou art my beloved son. With thee, I am well pleased. The word of God for the people of God. In my work as a hospice chaplain for children, I often find myself at the home of the innocents, a state-of-the-art facility not very far from here. There's a residential section. There's also children a section for those who are limited by disease and genetics and illness and injury, whose lives are very limited. Ivana is one of the social workers there, and she said to me one day, we have a boy here, he wants to be baptized, will you do it? They also have a warm water pool that's salt water, it's delightful. And I said, yes, I'll do it. <laughs> Evangelical fervor comes out in several ways. My theological guilt caught up with me, though, and I said, I probably ought to talk to him first. And so I talked to him, this 15-year-old boy who's now 16, whose legs are useless, whose hands and arm make jerky motions. He's still good with the games, though. And he has a smile that would light up any room he's in. And so I asked him some things. After our initial conversation, I said, tell me you want to be baptized. Why? And he tells me his cousin died. And when he dies, he wants to go to heaven to see his cousin again. And we talk about that death. And I ask if there's any other reason he wants to be baptized. And he says he wants his, his sins forgiven. Though I can't imagine what he's done by this age with this limited body other than the sins that we make up to control our children's behavior. 
Well, we talk about what that means and how baptism symbolizes that. And then he tells me he wants to be immersed. And my antenna kind of go up because we're getting into riskier territory for somebody whose health is so compromised and putting them underwater and bringing them up. And I explained to him that he really doesn't have to go all the way underwater, but he's insistent that that's what he wants. And so we, we start talking about when to do this and I ask if he wouldn't want maybe his family to be there down from the mountains near the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And it occurs to me he's in a totally different culture than what he grew up in. And he's here because his family cannot take care of him. But we pick a date and the social worker checks to make sure family can be there. And every time I go, he checks with me. He's excited. Then the day of his baptism came, and the social worker called me in a frantic. Another child has polluted the pool. That's not exactly how she phrased it, but... (laughs) The pool is not usable for at least six hours by law. Is there some place we can go? I thought, Highland Baptist Church, we're not that far. I know they'll fill the pool. I have a little pool. So I called here, and the staff was wonderful. They jumped into action, but before they could fill the pool, my social worker friend called me back and said, no, we can't come there. The governor is coming, and security arrangements have been made, and we can't move those security arrangements. It has to be here. So I called back here and canceled the filling of the pool. And they called around to places, swimming pool companies and Lowe's, and finally had something delivered, and she called me back early in the afternoon and said, is 150 gallons enough? I don't know. (laughs) How many gallons do you displace? I said, okay, yeah, we'll make it work. She'd ask about a wading pool, and I'm sure it would not be deep enough. He wants to be immersed. The time comes, and three of our wonderful folks here, Libby and Vi and Di, Diane, have agreed to come and sing, going down to the river to pray, what we sing here for baptism. And they sing Amazing Grace. And their lilting voices fill that place with a sense of music and beauty. And the boy comes with his, in his wheelchair, and the nurse and the therapist, and at that moment he says, no, I can't do this. What do you mean you can't do this? I mean, I'm really happy to wait till the pool gets warm again and we can use it, but he's decided that he's terrified of water and going under water. And it occurs to me he's never been under the water, not in his condition. And being that out of control is just a terror. So I say to him, you know, when we talk, we said we could do this a different way. We can just kind of set you in this tank. And I can pour water on your head. And he agrees that that's okay, but it's another problem. It's all these people out there. There's too many people and it scares him. And we convince him he only has to look at me. 
And the nurse and the therapist gently lift him from that wheelchair and place him in that water that barely covers his ankles. But he's sitting in the water. And another problem dawns on us. There was the heated pool option, which is no longer an option. And now this option involves water straight from the tap that's not warm. But I do this. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And they lift him gently back and he's soaking wet and he's shivering and he's smiling. And his family wasn't there. And he said, now I'm a child of Jesus. Now I am Jesus' child. There's so much in that confession about belonging for a boy hundreds of miles from home if no family in attendance. In those days, it says, Jesus came to be baptized. In those days, the days of fermenting unrest, seething national and political resentments, needing a voice, a direction, a spark. Like the American South in the 50s and the 60s, needing a woman to keep her seat on the bus and protest, needing someone a voice and a dream and a passion for justice. John the Baptist stirred some excitement, but he's, he's kind of that figure in my Bible class whenever we've talked about him. He, he kind of pushes us aside a little bit with his crazy street corner preaching approach. He's that guy that when you pull off the interstate and he's there shouting, repent or go to hell, you look for the buzzer on the window and buzz that window right up. John's message of repentance and baptism fall on my deaf ears. And Jesus comes and is baptized. And Mark uses this sparse language to describe a scene that's both violent and gentle. One translation says, the heavens are torn apart. Sounds pretty loud to me. Maybe it's just a way of saying the world is turned upside down here. Big things are going on here. It just looks like a baptism, but there's so much more happening here. And there's this gentle image of a dove descending. And we overhear the voice. Again, we get to choose how that voice sounds in our own imaginations. Morgan Freeman with an oversized microphone crackling power to rend the heavens, or maybe the whisper of a dove's wings and the dawning of enlightenment. But the voice says a couple of things. It says, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Two things. Each and every one of us need to hear and harbor in our very souls in order to be a healthy human being. And without those, 
we have a hole in us at the very center of our being that we are desperate to fill. It's interesting to me, the sequence of events, the voice of love and affirmation comes before the wilderness and the temptations. Indeed, these words function as something of preparation for this survival hike of the soul. Big changes coming, big event coming. They're big changes for Jesus. Quiet life in the village, being carpenter, taking care of mom. But now, stepping onto the bigger stage, moving to conflict, moving to teaching, moving to trying to help people understand, setting, setting a route that's going to bring him to Calvary, to a cross. Whenever there's a big change in our lives, the wilderness follows. Whatever that big change, a marriage, a divorce, a death, a retirement, a change of jobs, a move, a graduation, there's always something that asks us questions. Who are we really? What are we about? What matters now? talks about 40 days of temptation is a long time for soul work and it's the knowledge of love that frees us to do that inner work to venture into those places that are unfamiliar and dry and scary the place where we hear our own inner voices where we hear the siren song of success and we must decide what success really looks like a place where selfishness struts its entitlement. A place where power calls in the reasonable tones of self-justification. A place where we can feel small and are tempted to accept our abuser's definition of us. A place where the wild beasts live, bullies, politicians bought and paid for, whose actions seek to drag us down. The wilderness, where my own voice makes me afraid of my vulnerability, and I dare not drop my mask lest you see me for who I am and not love me. I need to hear that whispering voice, the one that says, I love you and I'm proud of you. But truth be known, for many of us, those voices were mute when we were growing up. Mayor Helen and I have discovered the joys of binge-watching TV programs. We take any and all recommendations. We've been looking for Netflix, and we came across one. An Irish detective who struggles with his alcohol problems. Visiting his mom, probably sober up. And she tears into him, and you get the strong impression that she's always just torn into him. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. You're just like your father. And as he leaves, he says these words, how is it that when we go home, our families can still push our buttons? Maybe because they're the ones who installed them.
the wilderness, that soulful place that pushes me to confess my need for life's essentials, for love, forgiveness, direction, purpose, meaning, belonging. And Matt's words echo in my head, now I'm a child of Jesus. And in the background, there's this echo of John the Baptist crying out, repent. But it means be teachable. Hear the voice of God. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're mine. Forty days. Mark's nod to Israel's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 40 years of transitioning from a slave mentality to that mentality that they're the people of God with a purpose and history. It takes a while to change our minds about some things, to hear new voices. In our passage, it tells us that Satan is there and the wild beasts are there, and it's a dangerous place. And there's great danger in not paying attention and the great danger of getting lost and dying thirsty for what saves. It's a curious note to me how it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and it says that the angels ministered to him It's like all of this terrible, difficult wilderness temptation experience is contained, surrounded by the sacred. That there's no place he can go, no place we can go, but what God isn't there. Doesn't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes it just feels like a wilderness. When the grief comes, when the old voices overwhelm, But that whisper of God is always there. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're mine. Years ago, I had another baptism. Didn't start out that way. It started out by him saying he didn't want a chaplain. I'm okay with that. I don't get my feelings hurt too badly. But after three or four visits by the nurse and the social worker, they came to a team meeting and said, you need to go see him now. I said, he didn't want chaplain. He said, he does now. I said, why does he want me now? Well, he's expressing some suicide ideation. So I went to see him. We talked a bit, and I said, I understand you've been having some thoughts of hurting yourself. And he said, yep. I don't deserve to live. I've never done a good thing in my whole life. The drugs I have to have for my pain are drugs I used to break into pharmacies and steal. I've been in prison for that. Never done a good thing in my life. I'm not worth the cost of a bullet for my brain pan. We kept talking. 
After a while, somehow, he mentioned that he had tuned up a car, helped a nephew tune up his car. And I stopped him and I said, Charlie, you said you'd never done a good thing in your life. I haven't. Well, maybe your nephew thinks that's a good thing that you helped him with the car. Oh, yeah, there's that. Anything else like that, Charlie? And grudgingly, he put something else out there. And for the next 20 minutes, that's all I said. Anything else like that, Charlie? Anything else like that, Charlie? Till finally, it began to dawn on him. You could see the light come on. That maybe it was possible that God could love him. A couple more times together, and Charlie wanted to be baptized. And we borrowed a baptistry from a church in the south end. They filled it up with water for us. A few people are there. Standing behind wherever it is you hide behind before you come out. Charlie and I are there alone. And I'm a little worried. Because he's 6'4 and 240 and I'm not. See the headlines in the paper, chaplain drowns patient. (laughs) But Charlie's nervous. He's dancing from foot to foot like a little boy who's run to the bathroom only to find the door locked. And he calms himself and he says to me, I know I have God in my heart and I know God has me in his heart. Wow. What it took for him to finally hear those other voices. You're mine. I love you. And I'm proud of you. I pray, God, all of us hear and hold that voice today. Amen. We sing our hymn of response. Would you stand, please?